Close your eyes. Imagine yourself in your favorite ecosystem. What do you see? What do you hear? How does that make you feel? What if you could capture these sensations that you're experiencing? How would you share it with others? For many, that answer is art. Have you ever seen a piece that makes you feel like you were transported to that ecosystem? My name is Charlotte, and on today's episode, we'll be exploring the theme of environmental art. Hey, welcome to Operation Climate, a podcast made by young people for young people, where we break down environmental issues through conversations with cool people. Oftentimes, when people think of environmentalism, they think about science, research, and policy. But we often forget artistic forms of activism, or you could say artivism. Joining us today is Courtney Madison, an artist who brings corals out of the water and into our lives through ceramic art installations. Let's dive right in. Would you mind starting off by telling us your name and your pronouns? My name is Courtney Madison, she, her. And I am a ceramic sculptor based in San Francisco, California. Can you tell us a bit more about what you do as a ceramicist? So I have a background in marine conservation biology and coral reef ecology. And that really serves as an inspiration for my work. Uh, Instead of becoming a traditional scientist, I really felt like I could better communicate through more creative means. And um, I discovered sculpture around the same time that I first discovered marine biology. So the two, even though they seem very different, have been very interlinked um, throughout my educational career and now professional career. It's really cool to hear how your interest in art and environmentalism developed together. Was there any specific time where your interest in environmentalism was really sparked? I was fascinated with the natural world since I was a little kid. I grew up in San Francisco and I remember walking along the piers and kind of peeking into crab traps along the coast and trying to see what was inside. I was just really fascinated by the kind of alien universe that lived in my own backyard. So that was something that really sparked my imagination as a kid and then through school. So um, I went to a high school in San Francisco where I was able to actually study marine biology. And that was around the same time that I started doing ceramic sculpture. I think I'm kind of a three-dimensional learner. So it was an interesting way for me to explore the anatomy and these really alien forms of these invertebrate creatures that I was studying in three dimensions. To get a better sense of coral's impact on our ocean ecosystems, Let's take a few minutes to discuss the significance of coral. Coral reefs are often referred to as the rainforests of the sea. Many fish, crustaceans, and marine mammals live amongst coral reefs at some point in their lives. While coral reefs only occupy about 1% of the ocean floor, they are home to over 25% of all marine life. Coral reefs serve as protection for this marine life and are essential in protecting many young fish as they grow. Coral reefs also protect humans on land, as the reefs serve as sort of speed bumps to dangerous waves and weather, and as climate change makes tropical storms and hurricanes more dangerous and more frequent, it makes coral reefs even more necessary to be protected. 
instead of finding new building methods to protect our coastlines from dangerous weather, we really should be thinking about conserving our coral reefs. Coral is a keystone species, which is just a fancy way of saying that its existence in an ecosystem has a disproportionately larger effect on the rest of the organisms in the ecosystem than any other species. So, many other organisms rely on that coral, and if the coral were to be removed from that ecosystem, the ecosystem would drastically change and might not even survive. Coral is also an indicator species, which means that scientists use the status and health of coral to evaluate the overall health of the ocean. As coral have been experiencing massive die-offs in recent years, it's quite indicative of the unhealthy status of our oceans. Courtney, I know that the subject of your ceramic installations is coral. Why did you choose to focus on coral? So corals have fascinated me for as long as I can remember. They're colorful and they're strange. They're animals, but they don't have faces, which I thought was just bizarre when I first learned that. And they're tiny and quiet, but they can construct and sculpt essentially these enormous, beautiful, crazy organisms. Some of the largest living things on earth are coral reefs. And so I love that idea of these tiny little quiet, faceless creatures creating these huge sculptural ecosystems um, out of stone. It's just kind of a fascinating thing for me. You are obviously extremely passionate about coral, but do you ever get tired of making it? Or do you ever feel yourself wanting to explore something else other than coral? Coral's really my muse. I don't know why. I know it's weird, but I feel like I relate to corals in this weird way. Like I sit in my studio quietly and I, I say that I kind of feel like a coral when I'm sculpting. I'm kind of <laughs> this little quiet person who makes these gigantic things. So, I mean, that translates to other ecosystems too. And as I said, my goal really is to like translate the the feelings that made me fall in love with the marine environment into work that I hope will do that for other people too and kind of bring that beauty and fragility above the surface. So I've, I'm kind of exploring ways to do that with other types of ecosystems like kelp forests and other kind of benthic seafloor ecosystems. Um, so I've dabbled a little bit. I did a project a couple of years ago that was inspired by uh, marine invertebrates like anemones and sea stars and different critters that live on the seafloor under the ice in the Arctic, um, kind of in Svalbard, which is in the Norwegian Arctic. So that's a fun way to branch out a little bit. Wow, creating a project centered on organisms that live under the Arctic ice is really cool because not many people would be able to see these creatures in their natural environment and they might not even know that they're there. What are some of your other favorite projects that you've worked on so far? I feel like all of my big sculptural wall installations are kind of like my children. So it's hard to pick a favorite, <laughs> but I put so much work into them because I handcraft every single piece and I don't use any molds. So I, I craft every individual coral texture using really simple tools. And so the biggest ones tend to be the ones that I really have the strongest connections to because they take me so long. And the largest work that I've created so far is called Confluence, our Changing Seas 5. And that is a gigantic, like 28 foot tall by 18 foot wide, uh, by almost two foot deep sculptural ceramic coral reef wall installation that I created for the atrium of the U.S. Embassy in Jakarta, Indonesia. And that was something I completed back in 2018. So how important is the location of your installations to you? 
And how do you go about choosing where your art is going to be displayed? I really like the idea of surprising viewers. I like the idea of putting my work in a place where it's not necessarily expected because I think those surprise encounters are what can really inspire people to engage with a work of art and hopefully learn more about what inspired it. Uh, And I think that is a really powerful tool to use to inspire environmental conservation. I think that's the whole power of art to me is it's something that can evoke kind of an emotional response in viewers to actually feel personally connected to these strange forms and want to learn more about the animals that are actually uh, inspiring that work. And so having something in a embassy, for example, or in a hotel, I think is a great way to have a surprise interaction. Um, but when the Coral Triangle Center in Bali reached out and invited me to design a really large scale work for their Center for Marine Conservation, I thought it was a really cool opportunity to do something a little bit different because it's not quite as surprising or unusual for a work dedicated to the love of coral reefs to be in a coral reef conservation center. It feels very appropriate. But for that particular piece, that's the only work I've ever done that was actually created by a community instead of just by me personally. So I love that it's actually part of the community where it's installed. And there were over 300 volunteers and local artists and local marine biologists and all kinds of people that were actually had their hands in the clay creating corals for that particular installation. Courtney mentioned how she likes to surprise her viewers with her art where they might not expect it. The art of surprise is definitely something that can be exploited in art. If you make something eye-catching, you'll really capture your viewer's attention. The next step, which I think is probably equally as important as the actual beauty of the art itself, is to make sure to educate your viewers on an important topic to you, such as climate change or coral bleaching. Once you have your viewers looking at the art, it's so easy to present them with a message. A piece of artwork is also so much more approachable than a lecture or a PowerPoint presentation. So, in cases where the message does not need too much explaining, art is definitely the more effective medium. So, would you say that art is an effective medium in bridging cultural and language barriers? Definitely. I think there's a term called cultural diplomacy that is often used by the Office of Art and Embassies, but also just in general, um, I think art can bridge divides across all kinds of barriers. And so, I think... Like there were a lot of people in that Bali project, for example, who didn't speak fluent English or had never put their faces underwater and seen a coral reef in real life. Like there were all these different barriers to connecting personally to this project. And it was amazing how art could really bridge those gaps and kind of ease that translation. I know you mentioned earlier about how you decided to pursue art instead of the more research and science side of activism. Why do you think art is so important in conveying scientific information? I think science and art have a lot in common. There are two ways in which humanity really explores and explains the world. I think they're both based in a sense of curiosity and wonder, and they're both ways of translating what we observe in the real world into formats that help us understand it better, if that makes sense. They're very different, obviously. Science is based on data and creating theories that then you prove and disprove. And the way that artists do that is feels similar sometimes, but it's obviously much less quantitative and um, literal. But I think they both share that sense. 
Are there any particular people, scientists, or other artists that you really draw inspiration from? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of everyone on the spot. There are so many amazing mentors and role models and people that are super inspiring. Um, Just off the top of my head, there are some old favorites, like you've probably heard of Sylvia Earle, but if not, she's an amazing, legendary oceanographer and um, marine botanist and deep sea explorer who is uh, in her 80s now, but she's still scuba diving. I was diving with her in Galapagos last summer, and she's just an incredible role model for women in science in general, but especially in marine conservation work. Um, and there's also Jane Libchenko, who is a, she works in the White House um, Office of Climate. I forget the name of the actual office, but um, she's working with John Kerry and others, this amazing team of people that are really doing policy work to focus on ocean conservation issues and climate change. There are so many other women yeah. specifically that <laughs> are really inspiring. Yes, yeah. are two of my favorites. Do you have any future plans or projects you want to share with people to look out for? I have a couple projects that are coming up. I don't know how much I'm allowed to share about them. I have one that I'm doing for a children's hospital in the next couple of years, and then also a public school, one in California, one in New York. But uh, I also have a show coming up this summer. So um, that's a solo exhibition that's going to be at the Minnesota Marine Art Museum in Winona, Minnesota. Um, But it's a solo exhibition. So it's probably the largest collection of all of my work that I've ever shown in one place. So that opens on May 5th or 6th, I believe. And lastly, do you have any recommendations for how young people can get involved and make an impact in the environmental movement through non-traditional forms of informing the public? I think the best advice I ever got when I was in college was to do what you can uniquely do to contribute. Like if there's an issue that you really care about, and in our case, it's really climate change and environmental issues. If there's a skill you have or a certain way of communicating that you feel particularly passionate about, that's the way that you can contribute the best. No one can tell you how to do that. You really have to do some soul searching and figure out like what gives me life, what helps me feel the most impactful and inspiring to others and inspiring to myself. Because if you're really passionate like that, and you love what you're doing, that just bubbles up into everyone else too. Like that's the most organic way to actually change the culture and change the way people vote, change all the big things that really matter in terms of policy and corporate responsibility and stuff like that. But if you feel it first, you'll make everyone else feel it too. Yeah, thanks for that advice, Courtney. Just like she said, there is not one way to advocate for the climate. If you aren't into public speaking, then don't try to lead a protest. There are definitely other ways you can advocate for the environment. If you have a niche form of art that you enjoy doing or are passionate about some other hobby, there is definitely a way to tie in an environmental message there. The best advocacy for the climate will come about if you're doing an activity that you already love. So what did we learn today? Let's review. Environmental advocacy can be so much more than just protesting, formal research, or lobbying. It can also take the form of art. Courtney Madison taught us that the most important thing is to find the intersection of your passions and skill set and use that energy to create change. And you don't have to wait to get a formal degree. You can start today. I'm currently a freshman in college and don't you have a degree? But I created my own ceramic coral installation that I lent to my local library last summer. 
Like Courtney, I'm also passionate about advocating for coral reefs as they exist just off the coastline of my neighborhood. I had been taking ceramics classes all through high school and wanted to find a way to bridge two of my passions. My exhibit highlighted an issue in many coral reefs, coral bleaching. I gave several presentations about coral and coral bleaching to the public while my exhibit was on display. So don't think that what you do or make will not be significant enough to make an impact. You should just go for it. And finally, art can be very powerful. Courtney's beautiful installations show us that we should keep an open mind when it comes to viewing art. It's definitely not just something pretty to look at. It can also be a powerful tool to communicate environmental messages. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Operation Climate. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else that you find your podcasts in order to stay updated about future episodes. Visit our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast for a full transcript of this episode and for more information and links that you can explore to learn more about this topic that we covered today. Follow us on our socials. We are at Operation Climate on Instagram. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So write a review on Apple Podcasts. That would help us so much. And send us your feedback and your messages through our website. Email us. You can DM us on Instagram. You can fill out our feedback form, which is on our website. And if you're a student listening to this podcast, head to our website to fill out our student stories form. to get the chance to have your story and voice featured on a future episode of Operation Climate. Thanks so much, and we hope you join us next time.